Perfect. Welcome to the Naked Podcast, the Naked about authenticity, uh, with uh, Matt and Phil. And uh, today we have a special something for you, as we have a guest for the first time on the podcast to talk with us. So, Alice. Hi, guys. Nice meeting you and nice having you on the podcast. Thanks. It's a real pleasure to be with you. Um, I've been following this podcast for a while now, and I'm really, really excited to be able to um, have, a, have a chat. Oh, welcome. Welcome. We're so happy to have you uh, as our first guest on the podcast. And by the way, Phil, you said it again. You said the naked about authenticity. <laughs> that, that was amazing. Now it's, it's going to be the new intro. The new intro, the naked about authenticity, that's the new intro. So it's the first time we have a guest and uh, we don't know how it's going to, as, as we are naked, you know, we do everything uh, unfiltered, unscripted, uh, but prepare. Yes, yeah. and uncut. Important and uncut. Uh, so we are testing that live directly. So anything that we do, you know, that we don't prepare it. Uh, we don't prepare the the talk. We prepare ourselves, but we don't prepare the talk. Uh, yeah. If you and and also I also want to say we uh, we like to uh, give like a uh, how do you say that like. A, little briefing of what we did and did not do because we like the behind the scene, like for us being fully naked and fully authentic is saying. Um, so basically here in the situation, Alice uh, knows Phil. Phil's bring Alice on the podcast. We had a little technical meeting just to make sure that the sound was okay, that our setup was okay. We did that last week. And this morning we're just meeting up. I know nothing about Alice. Uh, uh, just a thing or two and i've just watched her instagram this morning which has amazingly profound text and i love it so yeah we're gonna just do we talked about it and we we said well let's just do the same format two guys in a, in a pub and then alice come in a pub and we just chat together so that's that's how we see it for for that first guest uh episode so phil so, um I, i'm nervous are you nervous? Yeah, me too. I'm totally nervous. That's nervous. amazing. Uh, <laughs> You're not nervous at all. That's good. That's good. But I'm watching you guys. Uh, and it's funny. <laughs> uh, in, a, in a few words, Alice, uh, can, you tell, uh, can you tell us who you are? Yes. Um, so I'm 23, actually very soon to be 24, which is giving me existential crisis. Um, I live in London, but I'm French. I've lived there my whole life and I work in wildlife conservation. Um, I'm a wildlife photographer and writer and I use my words and photos to support conservation, both by um, storytelling and raising awareness, but also by giving back to conservation. So my prints financially support conservation. And at the same time, I started a consulting company when I graduated three years ago from university. I was at UCL. And I help um, conservation organizations or lodges to, um, you know, I help them with their strategy or their communication or um, just any kind of, any, any way, basically. Um, and with COVID, because most of my contracts are in Africa and were cancelled, I started doing something that I did when I was at uni to pay for my trips and for my gear, which is teach um, philosophy and French literature. And so I started this again uh, this year. And so all of my pupils have their baccalaureate today and they have it next week. So it's, I think I'm more stressed than them, to be honest. But it's really cool because I've 
actually started using philosophy and literature to write about conservation in a way that's a bit different because it's very scientific. But I really believe that um, protecting nature or preserving nature is 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 as much human and as much about humans as it is about nature. And it's important to remove the guilt from humanity and find something constructive. And I found that philosophy is a great way to do that. So I'm glad I'm glad Matt that you've enjoyed my my writing. Oh yeah. Totally, and, and uh, that's that's an impressive curriculum for a 23 soon to be 24 year old woman. That's that's pretty amazing. Wait, so so have I heard correctly? You're teaching philosophy at university? No, I'm teaching it uh, for 16 to 18 year olds, so kids who okay. are about to pass their final year exams. And it's it's cool because it's a way to help them give con build confidence. Um, you know, understanding why you're doing something, why you're learning something at school. I love working with kids who hate it because at the end of the year, usually they actually quite enjoy it, but they probably won't admit it, but they do. Um, and that for me is huge because it just gives them access to themselves and to their potential and being able to analyze something and, and make your own view about something, but also understanding different perspectives is so important. And the younger it starts, the better. So, um, no, it's not uni, but not yet, not yet. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. And, and uh, well, bravo, bravo for doing that. And uh, I love the aspect of talking about the why. Why do we do things? Like in philosophy, it's always going deeper in the roots of things. Why we do things? Why are you acting like a robot? And, and at some point, you just stop and you're like, okay, why do I do things? Why do things work this way? Uh, I, I, I really, really, really enjoy that you're that you're teaching uh, young people to do that because, well, if I, I always thought that if I was to work in a nonprofit or if I was to like have a lot of money and to, um, I was wondering which cause would I support, and it would always be coming back to the education of the children. That's for me. That's the most important. It, it's huge because I mean. Um some of the conservation projects I've worked on really I mean conservation today is not just saving animals and that's something that I've that's basically been my mission is to deconstruct that because you know I had when I was 15 I had this conversation with my dad who said but Alex like how do you justify saving animals when kids are dying of hunger and it really <laughs> makes sense because that's the vision that a lot of people still have of conservation because of its history I mean it was rooted in colonialism it was Um, it was it was quite an unjust practice because it was imported from the UK into into Africa and it was the cause of lots of big fictions. And I mean, it's kind of under the practice of it, at least, is kind of understood along the century that it really needed a rebranding and a new way of thinking because you can't protect animals or ecosystems if people are dying of hunger. And so now conservation really is actually the practice of development and how you can um empower but properly empower because it's still a buzzword that's used left right and center but properly um give local communities the tools to have access to a better quality of life and that goes through education and it's so cool because you see kids that were burst that won bursaries that were funded by um, ecotourism projects or conservation projects and they're really passionate about nature because they're learning about it and you know in africa 90 of the kids don't see the ecosystems they live in. They don't see animals or they, they're scared of... In Zambia, I, there was this... I interviewed this couple who were doing an incredible project from the south of Bikuri 
And they said, you know, people are scared of chameleons here because there's a disconnection. And it's not because you live in a wild place that you're still connected to that wild place. So for me, conservation is something that's international, it's global, it's generational, it's it's everything. And it's really about reconnecting people with nature and and just looking at how beautiful it is and how much we, we, we how much we get from um, the planet, but also how much we have to give back. It's, it's, it's a balance. And philosophy, I'm a really, really big fan of Alberto, who's uh, my favorite author, and who whose philosophy is really about you know realizing you live in a in an absurd life, rebelling that life, accepting it, but rebelling and, and living for yourself to finally live with passion, which is reconnecting with the environment in the present and and living as a, as, a, as someone who is a natural being. And I just find that incredible. So that's when I had this breakthrough, like last year during lockdown, I thought, wait, there are so many similarities here. Something has to be said. And it kind of started from there. <laughs> do, do you think it's the same? Um, do you think it's the same thing? You know, when people talk, I mean, this is what makes me, me remember is that, you know, you said that they're disconnected a little bit by, uh, to, to the nature and everything. Uh, it makes me remember when people, and I know it's not the same thing, but when people say Paris is the most romantic city in the world and all that, and when you're coming from Paris, you're like, yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, but when you go, to, and it's, it's, um, I feel it's kind of the same thing. You know, I don't know uh, how you feel, Mathieu, when we say like Canada, it's uh, wild and everything. You, you have lived all your life in Paris. I don't know what is the feeling that you have about Canada. Uh, do, do you believe it's kind of the same thing or um, is it an overfilling? Well, well, for me, I come, I mean, I come from a North village in Quebec. So I was privileged. I, I really think that's a privilege. I, I feel so blessed to have lived this kind of youth because I was in nature every day. I, I mean, for, it's so, it's so funny to watch the different generation because it's, for me, it was totally the opposite. Now you, you look at parents with their children and, they, they try to force them to go outside. So they say like, please go outside, please go outside. And me, my parents were shouting at me, please come having lunch. Like, please come have lunch. And like, please come back at this time for dinner. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just going out. I was crossing the street and I would be straight in the forest. And I would be with my best friend and we would always be in the wild, always in the forest and always interacting with, with, with like small animals. I mean, we killed some of them. We were young and... Some people like where I come from, there's a lot of hunting. So we just hunt, but it's, it's to eat, right? So I have this really different background from some people. So for me, Canada, yes, is definitely wild. I've been to two years ago, I've been to British Columbia and it's so fucking beautiful. Seriously, it's, it's so wild. The mountains are huge and, and there's this energy of nature that's so powerful there. Um, so, so I, th I really think Canada is that, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, what you said about Paris being like romantic and for you, it's not, uh, tell me a bit more about that because I think it's quite funny. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's kind of relating to what, to do what Alice is saying, you know, it's like when you're always inside an ecosystem, it's almost like you don't see it anymore. And yeah it's it's like yeah you you know that there is nature and you can appreciate it when you look back on it but when you're on it you know people say to you stuff when they are seeing it for the first time and i'm thinking about africa because a lot of people 
want, for example, to go there to go on safaris and to go, you know, in this reserve and all that, but they don't necessarily understand what is behind it. And obviously, you know, if you debunk that a little bit, there is a lot of this tourism has pushed, um, you know, this in a way that it's not good because basically it's like, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, these lions are, you know, raised in a, in a cage because we want to see baby lions only because it's cute and because it works well on Instagram. Uh, but it's not, <laughs> yeah, we, we debunk the stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a question for you, but I'll ask it just after something because I'd like to leave on what you said, Phil. Um, I think it's really important to understand that nature is everywhere and, you know, going to Africa, and that's something that might sound paradoxical for me because I'm always going to Africa, but it's, it's I just feel an energy that it that just keeps me going back and back. But it's so important to also understand that conservation and, and the appreciation of nature starts at home and that it's it's not because we travel to these beautiful places that we must be despondent about what's happening at home and you know i took there was a point where i was more aware of the conservation um dynamics that were happening on the continent I, that's also what i studied and what i wrote my thesis on but then at home and i was like why am i focusing on somewhere else when i should also I, there's so much to be done at home so that's one thing um the second thing is also regarding safaris the and the romanticism of it so many clients will fly in to the lodge they'll never set foot in the towns in the villages they won't drive they won't see what the reality is they'll set foot into these reserves that are usually fenced and managed by people and then they'll leave and then they'll be like oh we fell in love with africa it was so beautiful the animals sunset and that's it and i i often have an issue with that because it creates it's it's it creates a disparity between what the actual situation is. There's huge poverty. There's sometimes conflict between the reserves and the people who are dying of hunger, who aren't supported by some reserves. Nowadays, less. But And there's this whole shift towards making nature available for tourists. And it, it it's it's quite sad. So now there's, there's things that are changing. I mean, rates are, e are cheaper for people, for locals. Um, but still, there's... That's for me, that's the disconnection. And so the question I wanted to ask you was, do you think that the wild exists? I've been to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wild. Ah, <laughs> have you seen the guy that we haven't known? I love your answer, but it's a bit of a philo question, but still, I'm, I'd be curious to know how you define the wild. Yeah. That's a really deep question, and uh, so I I, I, know, I don't expect less from a philo teacher. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. I, I will go. I will go. I think uh, I think that wild exists. Um, I think, in fact, wild is pretty much everywhere, and I discovered it in, with my travel. And I wanted to to say that before. Um, you, there's something you said, Alice, about. Uh, about conservating your, the, the nature at home and, and seeing the disconnection between nature and people. And that's, since I've started traveling, that's what I realized is that, let's say you're in a, you, you, you've lived in London all your life, right? And you're like in a city. And first, you don't see animals roaming around in a city. You see like trees and parks, but that's it. And 
and the and the food you eat, you go to the supermarket and you just buy this packed meat, which you have no connection, no clue at all of what's coming. So you kind of live in that bubble, right? That bubble of this is the life and there's nothing else. That's why that's why I come back to travel. But for me, it just you, you see all this romantic thing about traveling and like, oh, travel would make you grow and all that thing. But that's so fucking true. That's exactly what happened because you get out of your bubble and you try to you start seeing things that different way and and then you can relate. You can put different point of reference to to relate um, to to your life that you had before and the life that happened elsewhere. And and then you, and, and I think that's that's when you can really realize more about the the hurt, more about the global ecosystem that is really really crucial and vital to. Like what I mean is that everything is is connected and everything is necessary for for the whole to grow properly, right? And so if you just see one little part, you can't really understand um, the impact that your action have on a on a larger scale. So it's like you have to go to go out to zoom out to see the world, and then after that you come back to your home, you come back to your place. And then you understand more how to act on a micro scale to make sure that the, ma- the macro scale will function properly, right? And it's all about, the, because when we say ecosystem, it, it's like it, it's one big ecosystem and then you divide that into larger ecosystem, smaller ecosystem and like micro ecosystem at some point. So when we talk about, I mean, you, you probably face that at least right in your work, it's it's like about how do you make an impact globally? Like how, like when you, when you do an action, how do you not get cynical about, Oh, that little action is not going to do anything for the, for the global thing. For me, that's, that's a, a really big issue in my life at the moment is that I see all of that. And I see how important all these things are, but I'm, I'm, I kind of fell into that cynical way of thinking, which is like, if I plant a tree here tomorrow, companies will destroy a million acre in the next year. And I just can't get my head to to wrap around the fact that my action is like make an impact that's going to impact like enough. I don't know. Um Still, you get to still think about the question whilst I reply to Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's a few things. I have a multiple answer now because of because of that. So that's, that's... Well, remember them. So, I firstly I agree, Matt. I think that the world is everywhere and it's nowhere. And I think that in fact the world is a problematic notion because it's created by us to separate what is urban, what is human, and what is natural yet we are natural. And I think the entire issue that we have today is that we within, I mean, I personally, and through the research that I've done, trace it back to uh, the Genesis. So literally when the Bible, the Quran and the Torah emerge, where, you know, there's that moment where God kicks Adam and Eve out of Eden and says that you will dominate the land and the hostile land and fertilize it so that it gives you its fruit. And so you get... 2,000 years of that, plus the Industrial Revolution, where 
there's no God anymore. Man discovers incredible power. So there's no limits. And there's this separation between man and nature that kind of just becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And I think that what gives me hope today is that for the first time, and I, I would say it started about two decades ago, the first time we're talking about repositioning man in the ecosystem. And so there is a paradigm shift that's happening. My generation, my brother's generation, who's younger than me, it's just something that we learn automatically. And yes, it's, you know, we still have to learn it. And I come from the countryside in France. So I have that same privilege as you is to just have been able to run in the fields and horse ride and be close to nature. And, but, but it is so important to understand that the wild is everywhere. Like I see wildlife in London. I see foxes, there's squirrels everywhere. There's bugs, there's, um, there's incredible life if you look for it. And we've at least, no, not we. When I say we, I mean mostly European, perhaps Western societies, maybe Eastern, Far Eastern. I don't really know, so I don't want to speak for, for, for other countries, but at least people who live within the Western world have kind of just forgotten to look for life again. Because as you said, everything's so easy. You just go to the supermarket and you buy it. And that's why... Um, if you looked at my Instagram, you know, recently I've written a lot about responsibility because I think that we have a responsibility individually to go and do the research and we've become lazy. So it's much easier when people tell you what to do, which is why you need a form of leadership. You need something straight. And the thing is with COVID, there's no leadership. There's no order. Everything's just completely squashed. You don't, you don't really know what's what anymore. And finally, that feeling of um, eco-anxiety is what we call it. I've always resisted it i felt it i was pretty heck pretty hectically depressed this last these last few months and i felt it profoundly but i am a commusion a commusian i can't really translate it full and through and you can't give up and if you give up then there's no hope and there's something that he says in the rebel man it's i rebel therefore we are and i so believe in individual action and you might think that planting your tree means nothing but the thing is if you didn't plant that tree, then you, then there would be nothing. And so it's it's really hard to, to keep hope sometimes, but we have to because otherwise we can't win. Like we might not win. I don't even know what we'd win, but we can't make things better if we don't even start. And it's it's really hard to acknowledge and to do because it feels exhausting sometimes. But if you don't try, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that's valid for any life reason. And that's why I just love philosophy so much because it really forces you to look into, I mean, all the things that we feel today have been felt by people. Human nature doesn't change, except the situations change, but the feeling doesn't. There's always this feeling of powerlessness, I think, that arises, whether it be for our own existence. I mean, I've had a lot of questioning of what is my purpose? Who am I? What am I doing here? You know, it's normal, it's human. But then when you ask yourself those questions, when you wake up from the kind of really absurd, repetitive um, uncontrolled life that you have because you follow society's kind of rules and that's all you know and when you start questioning that then you have power of action and that's huge and and at any scale and the more you do it the more you'll be recognized the more you can tread it and I believe in it but it, I don't think it has to be a violent form of activism I think it can be something that can be quite constructive and gentle that probably will inspire more action because because it's with kindness and it's with generosity so I think that's important okay Bill the wild <laughs> yeah i want i want to hear phil on the wild too <laughs> uh, so so my issue that i have in my head right now is what do you define as wild because there is different stuff 
Is there the world that is the stuff that we don't know? You know, so what you don't have at home. So, for example, you know, when I when I spoke to, um, I was working in a company that was a lot of Australian and uh, New Zealanders. Um, and, you know, they have this game when they're a kid where they learn the different type of animals and insects that could basically kill you. <laughs> you know, I never learned that in France. Like, nothing can kill me just because I go on the street. Where it seems that in Australia, <laughs> it can kill you at any time. So it's like, is this the wild? Or is it, you know, just nature in general? Or is it, for example, you know, when I went to Canada, for example, if you go to Stoneham, you know that, um, Matt, there is this stone and, and I found it amazing. It was a stone that was used like 200 years or 100 years ago by the people that were, uh, you know, um, chasing uh, animals for fur. And they were using that stone to basically direct themselves. But the rest, except the road and the houses, the rest is absolutely the same because Canada is really, is, is, I will not say untouched, but it's, um, it's still like it was a long time ago. So, um, when I was in Canada, I was always amazed to think that the first people that came, that came to, to Canada saw approximately the same thing, you know, and it's kind of amazing to see that because when you think about it and you think about the world, it's something untouched also. But then afterwards, you know, what is wild is also something that you can't predict. And I've always this feeling that, you know, nature's adapt also, and nature's make you pay. So, for example, you know, the floods in New Orleans or that are happening in the south of France is because we did things that were not supposed to be done. And we, we, we put out of balance things, and this is why we have that. People think that it's just, oh, yeah, now we have floods because... I don't know what is the reason for them, but it's because we, we got rid of the trees that were basically, you know, taking out the water. And this is why we have the floods now. So it's pretty hard to say because you were talking about London. In London, there is a lot of fox, for example. So, you know, even if you say like, yeah, it's the city everywhere, the fox are still there, the squirrel are still there, and they make it their own in another way. So... I don't know. I don't know how to answer the question. I will say there is the world. It depends just the way you define it. But I found amazing, you know, stories like the one in Yellowstone when they introduced, you know, coyotes um, inside the park and suddenly everything went back together because it was the missing, the missing link there. And suddenly species that were not there anymore came back because since the coyotes were there, it means that other species were undown and so other species could come. It's like this, this balance come back. And it's quite, it's quite interesting when you read a story like that because you say, I think when you think about Africa and, and Australia, I'm talking this too, you, you, you always think about wild. You know, it's like, but when you think about US, you don't think about wild. You think about New York City. This is what the first thing that you have in mind. So there isn't, I mean, it's wild in terms of people, but it's not wild in terms of nature. So talking also about this stuff, I found it really interesting because it's like, it's almost the thing next door, I will say. So, so people can relate better. Yeah. And, and it's true. Like it is, it does depend how you define it. Um, but I love when you said untouched and for me, I don't think anything exists today that isn't untouched. I saw an article that said that about 3% of the world's ecosystems were relatively untouched by man. The rest, I mean, if you look at, nature reserves in Africa they're reserves so they're managed by people um in uh, the first time I went to Africa was in Namibia and I'd spent my life watching nature documentaries and there's something that they never show you and that's 
what actually what, what makes me think about why we need to show nature without man, because that was actually the colonial premise of conservation was to get rid of the people who were in the places that they wanted to set up national parks in. And so you never see the fences. You never see the, you just see immense, immense land, like endless land with lots of wildlife. Um, and it's, you know, videographers who have spent years in the bush filming. And so the first time I went to Namibia, I was shocked because every single piece of land is fenced on either side of the road because it's usually private land or um, if it is a national park, it's, it's still fenced. And a lot of it in Southern Africa is fenced. I'm not too sure about Zambia and Zimbabwe and Malawi, but I know that South Africa and Namibia at least are completely fenced. And that really got me thinking, like, we go to places that are, yes, they're, they're raw, they're wild. I mean, you can get eaten. But it, it's still managed by people. We are, and the, so that's why I think that it's important to kind of start thinking that wild, the wild exists everywhere. I mean, it's even in human nature. And Matt, the first thing you said, you said, I'm wild. And I love it because we've got to, we've got to know that. Like, it's, it is within. Like, there are things that we can't control about us. And, and I think that the more we suppress that kind of, I mean, you know, obviously you don't want to go and kill people because that's your natural drive. But the more there's a balance that needs to be found. And I think that it's important to accept that there's a nature within because it might help. I, I feel that the, the big thing at the moment is guilt. You know, if you ask people what they think about humans, they're like, oh, it's a plague. And, and I, that, as much as I, it annoys me because it doesn't solve anything. Like, you're not going to get people to change by insulting them or by telling them that they're useless. Or So maybe by finding that natural side, it can kind of counterbalance the profoundly human thing that we have. And that's why I love art and philosophy and, well, the art so much is because humanity has something. It's that we can appreciate beauty. We can do, we can think about our actions and we can make amends for them. We can, we can, we, we consciously understand that things are wrong. An animal's just going to eat because it needs to feed. So, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's just something that I'm really passionate about because once we start shifting the perspective, we become a lot more mindful of the fact that it's our home. And, you know, Matt, you were talking about ecosystems and the, the different scales. Eco in Greek, eco means, comes from oikos, which means home. And I just find that really beautiful, that ecology, economy, it's the science of the home. It's the, the discourse of the home, in a sense, if you translate it literally. And I think that, you know, the more we start looking at these little connections, the more will be mindful and, and you know it's 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 about knowledge it's it's I think there's a huge um I think there's a huge huge level of ignorance um that needs to be addressed so yeah <laughs> I, that's that's so true I want to there's something that really I found funny is the word untouch for me it sounds like when the when the hand of man touched something yeah. it it starts a downward slope like it's it's like an evil hand. It's like if it if it, if we touch it, it's gonna slowly become worse, slowly decay, slowly be destroyed. And I just when you said it, I was like, wow! I never think about this word, which is so powerful in in a sense. And I want to ask you a question, Alice, um, because I, I've I've had a lot of discussion with people and friends about this, and you, you know, you know. Some people, and, and sometimes I do, I will compare the, to try to understand. It's more in a way to try to understand what we are, why do we act this way and everything. 
sometimes I, I compare human to uh, a virus, something to, and, and I want to know your, your, uh, your opinion on that, because you talked about plague and that people think of that and that in a way it doesn't help. But if it is, if we take the premise that we are really close to some kind of virus because we're the only species on the planet that will destroy its own habitat, which is the, it, it's only viruses that do that. They will consume the host slowly to survive themselves, but the host is going to finally decay and die. So I wonder, is it what we are doing right now? Like all the, the, all the alarms that are rang everywhere about cli climate change, about uh, the, the deforestation, about all the, the, the animals that are getting extinct and, and, and killed in mass and, and, and all of that. Do you think that we are the virus of the earth? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, so I, if you look at what makes a species, um, or at least what drives a species, it's to thrive and survive. And humans have been really good at that. And I wonder if it's not a biological urge, in a sense, that's, again, uncontrollable um, to do that. And the fact that, you know, that was sustainable when there was maybe a billion of us, two billion. But the way that the, the numbers plus the, 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 wave, the ways of life are going to be problematic if they don't change. Now, I don't, um, I do, the thing is, I do also see the success stories and the work that's been done. And when I said earlier that there's a shift in the, in the mindset, I really think it's a paradigm shift because now if you look like, so Phil and I, you, you said that we met, we met through politics and we, we um, were um, working towards a, a program for an election that we got destroyed at and who won? <laughs> The Greens, the ecologists. And if you look at a lot of the big regional elections, at least in France, local elections, who wins? The ecologists. And I mean, I don't want to get political, but I don't find ecological, um, I mean, ecologist parties to be very sustainable on the, on the financial and economic side. So, but it just shows that people, there is a desire for leadership in that domain. And I, I really think that we're close to having because the mindset's there at least in the western world and i think you know the whole point of conservation is to show that people can benefit from protect, protecting nature and kind of a side story but relevant my thesis was on um finding ways in which conservation actually does enhance like really does it really enhance both the ecological and the e socio-economical well-being and I, I looked at a case study in northern kenya um in a in a conservancy that had been established 20 years ago and they were i think the first in their kind of in africa at least in east africa to be completely run by maasai completely managed by maasai um and it was a complete leap of faith that they did because they conservation was still very much associated to colonialism and the shift was incredible because when I interviewed one of them, who's a really good friend of mine, Dixon, he said, you know, I used to chase elephants away when I was herding my cattle and cattle is something that's very important for Maasai. It's a symbol of status. Um, in Ma, the word um, cattle in Kombe gave the word life in Kishwi. And so you can really see how it's interconnected. 
And he said, now I'd rather sit with the elephants and watch them than watch over my cattle. And I just, it's interesting to see the shift from instrumental, I'm going to benefit financially from conservation, to intrinsic. I also appreciate the fact that nature's there and that I'm within nature. And I, I think that we're at this tipping point where it can go both ways. Either that kind of happens and there's a shift, there's a, there's a proper shift. And I think it's happening. I mean, today, I don't know if you guys work in finance or at least have ties with it, but it has, I mean, there's a huge pressure on companies and corporations and funds to support, um, you know, to support the, the reducing carbon emissions or rewilding or uh, habitat fragmentation or whatever it is, because consumers just don't tolerate it anymore. But then at the same time, I see people who engage with fast fashion. There's nothing that drives me more crazy than fast fashion, who will buy and buy and buy and buy and buy things that they don't need um, because it's it's something that they can do. And I think that that's where we should be focusing on how can we turn industries that are huge, really sustainable, because yes, there's greenwashing, but again, the idea is that, but it's just it's just a matter of how quickly can we change? Because yes, we are facing like we're the we're the the, the crossfork here. Like it, it, it's it's I think it's much quicker than we it's much closer than we think. And when you said you know with everything it's it's all there but we're not acting. In the plague by Camus, no one wants to accept that the plague is there. And it's exactly like with COVID. No one wanted in the beginning it was like oh it's nothing it's just a flu oh it's nothing it's nothing it's nothing and then suddenly once you're deep in it panic shit what do we do what do we do lockdown stop freeze and then it, we suffer the consequences and I, sadly i think that that's human nature and i don't know to what extent we can do something about the fact that we don't want to accept the reality until it hits us in the face so if there's anything to work on i think that's it and i, I think that i don't know if we're a virus because because a virus will keep going at it whereas we i mean there's a huge community today that is like guys we really need to do something about it and i think that that's where our consciousness will help us. It's just how quickly can we do it? Yeah. What? Now, when when I was talking about the virus, in fact, it was like we have the tool to we have the tool to destroy it, and we have the tool to to totally transform it and save it. That's that's what. That's the point, like in my definition, when, when I think about this thing of the virus, are, are we a virus or are we just only destroying? My, my final answer is that we have the power to do both. We can be just the virus and destroy everything, but that's not what we are. We are, we are also super intelligent. We are thinking beings. We are feeling beings. We can, we can totally see and feel that something is wrong and we can shift massively together to something that's better. Because on the other hand, if you take a, a ant colony, right, they are fucking billions. <laughs> and on the earth, there's probably trillions of ants and, and way more. And they live perfectly. Like they, they, they really live perfectly. In, and they don't destroy their ecosystem. They, they thrive out of it. And they are building, like if you look at their scale, they are building massive kingdoms all working perfectly so we could be like ants and just make this herd a paradise but we can also destroy it completely and i also believe we are at this so 
so critical point right now. And I do also believe that sometimes you just need a fucking slap in the face because that's <laughs> that's what we are. I was hoping COVID would be that slap in the face. But the thing is, because people have been locked in for so long, there's this feeling of freedom that's so like there's this feeling, this desire to just go out and just just live again. And the thing is, I don't know how sustainable that life is. Um, mm. But at the same time, you know, I really suffered these last few months from being separated from nature. And I didn't, I didn't understand it until I thought, shit, like actually, you know, I was meditating, I was training, I was eating well. What I needed was being able to be, to reconnect with nature because I literally, there's no green space around me. There's the park, but it was, I mean, I still went, but it was cold and rainy and dark and packed. And I just couldn't, it just wasn't enough. I wanted silence. Um, and I think that I hope that it has driven people to, to, to want green, to want the ocean, to want, you know, beautiful, powerful environments that remind them of themselves and their humanity and that just recenters everything exactly like when you travel. But sometimes it just takes going to somewhere you've never been before that's an hour away from your house. And we weren't allowed to do that. Um, so, yeah, I hope it, it, we need a slap in the face. I think we need, we need multiple slaps in the face. Um, but um, I think, you know, it's interesting because at the moment I'm in Dubai and it's a beautiful city, but I, I really, there's this desire to be better than everyone, build bigger buildings than everyone else, do things faster. And I'm just like, you could be more sustainable than everyone else, but you don't. So maybe it is something that's going to happen, but I just don't understand why sustainability isn't sexy yet. Like it, it's, you know, the technological advances that could be made it's super interesting. You can have so many different innovations, um, so much research. It's it's beautiful, thriving ecosystems. Like I went to the mountains on Saturday, went hiking. It was yeah, it was fifty five degrees. I thought I was going to die. These mountains used to be teeming with different antelopes and gazelles, and not one animal is left. And you know they've hunted out all the predators here. They've reintroduced oryx in in the desert. They have to look after them. Like, and it just, it just, I just wonder, like, when are we going to try, when, when does sustainability become something desirable? And it is for some, but it's definitely not for a large part of the world. So, yeah, tipping point, slap in the face. Yeah. Uh, Phil, Phil, we talked, uh, we talked a bit about AI in, in different episodes. And I want to know, like, what, what do you think? Because I know that, one of the reason that it's like things are happening this way and 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 at least you say like why why are we not being sustainable i think the large part of that is because of ignorance and you said it before also that we're plagued by ignorance and but but at the same time you cannot blame people to not understand the whole complexity of the earth ecosystem So what the parallel I want to do with AI is that AI is coming and big, like if super fast and big data is part of that. And we all fear AI because we, we, we just like have these Terminators movie in our mind and, and shit. But, but in a way, AI could also be the missing piece to understand at a global scale how ecosystem work how every piece is important and to be able to compute 
better decision at a local scale, at a small scale, micro scale, which would fit in the macro side of thing and which will englobe everything. So uh, tell me what you think about that, Phil. That's, that's a complex question. <laughs> that's a really complex question. Because, yeah, but because I know we, we talked a bit about it. So. Yeah, but it's... it's um, I think when we want, we can. Okay, I'm just going to simplify that. When we want, we can. And, and this is, I think, like one of the problems. You know, like, okay, giving you an example. It has been talked for a long time that it's better to have electric cars, right? It has been done for a long time. No company like decided to build an electric car and then Tesla decided to build it. And now like, you know, Volkswagen and everyone like is, is putting their effort in it and it's almost like three years we're capable to do more than we have been capable to do in 50 years. So it's not a problem of capacity. Where you're right about AI and there is a part that is scary in that, which is we are capable today to build cities that are sustainable. We are capable to build you know, ecosystems built by man and that incorporates also nature. We're capable to do that. We know how to do that. There is like, for example, the city in the, um, I mean, most of the, I think the, the first people that will do that will be in Asia because they have a thinking that is way different from ours, which is in the long term, which is in the reincarnation mm -hmm. and all that. So we, where they make choices. So for example, if you see what is done in South Korea, it's quite amazing. You look at cities like um, Songdo, uh, you look also, but problems that people don't want to go in there because they live in a certain environment and they don't want to change it. It will come, but people will have to be forced. The thing with AI is, yes, we can understand every interaction that we have. And, and since it's capable of computing way more information that we have, it will be able to control those things. Where it's dangerous, and this is what people see with AI, is that it yeah, I may choose that they need to destroy us because we are the problem. So this is where you know, <laughs> we don't want to go necessarily with that because if they think like what is the best solution and the best solution is to kill humans, this is what they don't want. Um, and there is why, a lot why of would they, Why would they not think about educating humans instead? We just, we just love these like crazy action movie and like Terminator killing everything. But seriously... Is the, if the AI is so intelligent and it understands the human being, because first it's being created by us, so it's going to definitely be shaped as we are, so it would understand us, so it will know the power we have to change, to be educated and everything. Why would the solution would not be that the AI is like, let's just put the humans out of ignorance. Let's just teach them everything that they don't know to make everything work properly. Because here you're asking an AI to have compassion, yeah. where an AI works with facts. <laughs> you know, it's imagine it, it's simple, right? Um, and, I, and, you know, I will come back a little bit to what, to what you said, Alice, because, and also to what you said, Matt, about virus and all that, and the fact that we are the virus and all that. I, I, I think one of the books that changed a little bit my mind was the book from uh, Yuval Noah Ari, which is around, you know, Sapiens, because... Yeah. He brought something that was quite interesting when he says, like, we have been, um, how do you say, like, tamed by uh, wheat. Tamed. Because yeah. tamed by wheat. Because wheat only, like, grow in a certain environment. And if we wanted to build a society that is more sedentary and everything and grow as a population, we needed wheat. And so to have wheat, we needed to be, 
you know, in a certain way that was not the way we were. And so we adapt, we, we kind of make an adaptation to nature. And it's other things like that that you can see also. So, you know, I, I agree that we are, we're kind of killing our habitat, but we're also adapting to it when it answers to us and when we want something out of it. When we want to grow a certain way, we adapt to it. Um, and in the AI stuff and your question is that if you put the AI at looking at Yellowstone, it will say to you, okay, like if we want to have a balance, we need to bring that those this type of species because those type of species are bringing you know this um you know the species is uh the, the what do you call that the, the, okay. uh, the balance between like the the species and the ecosystem yeah um and and this is what ai will say they will say okay the the earth has that capacity this is this type of species that there is on the earth if we want everybody to survive we will need to be maybe four four billion and not you know eight or nine or not ten or even worse because ai will look at facts they will not look at you know we should teach them and maybe they will understand um but maybe it's so, better Maybe it's better because, and, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Alice, but in nature, in the wild, if they're still wild, that's how it works. Like the lion, yeah. it, won't, it won't not kill the antelope because of compassion. It is, <laughs> it is. But, but you can understand that that's a discourse that's untenable because it means that you have to make a, cho a choice on killing off poor willing people. And, you know, Well, 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 but maybe not killing people, but maybe just but, uh, <laughs> like you, it would not be like okay, let's just mass slaughter half of the half of the earth. No, it's not really that. It's more like uh, by controlling the birth, maybe that would just. But how do you decide? slowly? Like, Because it's a biological need to have babies. Like it's yes, perhaps like it's something that actually I was quite intrigued about because. I think a lot of people in my generation might not feel like they want kids. And I was discussing it with a few people who were my mum's generation. And they said, oh, you know, at your age, I, the idea of a kid terrified me. I did not want to do anything with children. And then one day they would wake up and it was like, I need a child in their head. And it's something that is profoundly biological that you can only understand, I suppose, once you feel it. And I think that If someone was to say, right, you can't have a kid, you can have a kid. I mean, you know, from a social justice perspective, it's just impossible. But but, but I, what I think is, it, it's a huge question because I think deep down, a lot of people think that there's too many of us. But how do you resolve that? How do you address that? You know, so it's, 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 it's a complicated one because also in the matter of education, education takes time. I don't know if we have 20 years. And the last thing is that our educational systems for the last, I would say, two centuries are based on a system that is um, disciplinary, but like to each field its own. So you have economists who have studied economics, but who don't study biology. You have um, ecologists who don't understand finance, who just see the side effects of finance and markets and capitalism and you say we need to destroy capitalism you have engineers who don't understand that when you're going to build a, a windmill for wind energy 
you have to destroy an ecosystem that's perfectly functional. And, you know, electric cars, there's so much problems with electric cars, but it's it's not comfortable Mm -hmm. to look at them, right? You have to mine for lithium. Lithium is a disgusting source to mine. We can't recycle the batteries. So again, these solutions that we find, they're great, but they're not long-term because what happens when your electric car doesn't work anymore? What happens when the windmill, like I'm, you know, what solar panels, glass still can't recycle it. You have to clean it every day. Otherwise it doesn't work, but you have to use chemicals. So there's all these little things that you find a solution, but because you're not addressing complexity, you're reducing the problem to make it easier to address. There's going to be more issues on the long term. And that for me is the one thing that our civilizations and our societies have to learn to tackle. And maybe with AI, and that's complexity. And the degree I studied was interdisciplinary. And it really opened my eyes because I was sitting with biologists who were like, end capitalism. And I was kind of like, capitalism is the reason you're there learning. Like, you know, there's so much shit with it. But at the same time, it's, it's not something that you can just throw away. And economists were just refusing to criticize market. I mean, no, they do because you kind of have to. But it was kind of like, oh, market, market, profit, profit. I'm, obviously, I'm exaggerating. But that was the kind of mindset that I had. And I was in the middle and I was like, I wish you two had swapped just for a day to study something completely different and get a different perspective. And so I think that our education systems are changing. You know, there are international baccalaureates, these international uh, interdisciplinary degrees, especially in the US, are growing. And I think that it will create people who, instead of being um, specialists in a discipline, are specialists in a field that they've apprehended through different disciplines. Some people are born to be engineers or, you know, that, that's what they have to do because they don't understand anything else. But others are generalists. And it's being able to, to work with these different perspectives that hopefully will help us understand. Because, you know, yes, there is ignorance. But something I found as well is that the truth is uncomfortable. And when I was at, when I was at school, there was this philosophy topic from, for an exam that I had. It was, um, is freedom the absence of constraint? And so, something, that made me, something that came up when I was writing was it's incredibly difficult to be free because you have to start making decisions you have to be conscious of everything. You are suddenly aware that when you're in control and you're, you've got the power, you've got the information, there's things that are really uncomfortable to deal with. And sometimes ignorance is bliss. So yes, there's ignorance, but we have to make it. A, a, we don't, humans don't like change. It's so uncomfortable. But, but so if you don't know, then you don't need to change. So you can stay comfortable. And that's what we need. It's people who, it's teaching people to get out of their comfort zones. And again, education. But it's so important to have that resilience and that adaptability because otherwise I don't see how we're going to be able to change quickly. And learning complexity is something that I think is crucial. But you see, that's the thing. You raise a, you raise a good point about complexity. And by the way, I will change one of your sentences that you say, uh, there is too many of us. I will change that there is too many of others. This is what people think, not there is too many of us. I think it's a problem is always others, you know. It's always like, and this is also what is part of the greenwashing, even on social justice warriors and everything, is because nobody do, nobody does the right thing. There is always something wrong in what everybody is doing, and I think this is part of the problem. But in the complexity you are saying, and this is what it was funny, is that one day when I was at school and I was in um, in high school, I think one of our teachers says, you know, like, uh, so we were on the scientific uh, path in uh, high school. So when you are in high school in France, you have to choose 
I mean, when I was there, you had to choose scientific, economic, and social, or literature, and there was other ones. Um, and so this was the three main ones, and basically people were separating themselves between scientific and literature. The funny part is that is that people in um, people in scientific. There was one of the teacher that said, "You know that um, in, in scientific you're more you're more um, geared to change the world because even the philosopher and all that that were there before were also like mathematicians and, and you know really good at it." And this is the funny part because today we want everybody to be so specialized that we we say to people, "You you you shouldn't know." You know even in in my field, you know, I'm a product manager, so it's almost like I shouldn't know about sales or I shouldn't know about marketing or I shouldn't know about heart or I shouldn't know about all those things. But the funny thing, and this is what all the companies know in the world, is that if you want to be innovative and if you want to change your way of thinking in your field, you have to look at other fields. You have to look at heart. You have to look at, I don't know, like, you know, you're in, um, you're in, in cars and you look at construction. Because it, they use they use things that may be useful for you, and for me this is part of a problem. You know that we want so much to be hyper specialized that that people like for example that are just thinking about the environment just think about the environment and they don't see the other stuff. So it's not it's not sustainable, and also from a selfish point of view, it will never work, because people that are saying that there was a lot of you know. <laughs> Um, you know, stories like kind of tabloid stories about all these people that were saying they were ecologists and all that. And they have like three houses and two cars and they go with planes and all that. So suddenly you're like, okay, you tell us to do something, but you don't even do it. So where is the credibility in that? You can't say that you protect nature when on the other side, you take a plane to basically go to, you know, somewhere that is almost like two hours away. You know, it doesn't work. I think that, and I don't know how we can change that. And I don't know if it's wishful thinking to think that we can change human nature in, in saying, oh yeah, from tomorrow people will stop to be selfish. I don't think we can change it. Um, but I do think that you can change the, the self-interest. So that's where the shift is important. And that's why complexity is important because Phil, what you said about you know you as a project manager, if it, for me, a leader or even anyone you're going to engage with in any kind of relationship, you need to be able to adopt perspective. And I don't understand how, for example, I would be able to run a conservation project if I didn't just chat and understand the prerogatives and the complexities of the local communities, of the ecosystem, of the, um, I don't know, the people that I would employ, of the uh, investors that I would go and ask for money. Like, there's so many... Um, different pieces that you I think it's healthy to know because one you're challenging your brain and brain brains are built for complexity like we, we we have five senses so that means that we can absorb a quantity of information that is huge and yes we diminish we, we simplify it but it's still there it's like you know when you take a photo um usually you'll take in a format that's called raw and then you'll edit it in a software later on so a lot of people say, oh, but it's chilly. It's not. When you take a raw photo, the camera will absorb all of the information, all of the detail in the photo that you take. And then you edit it to kind of recreate what you saw or, or go crazy. That's, that's your decision. So what I find fascinating with that is that it allows you to deal with the complexity. And then it's up to you to, to recreate that or to just find a new thing or 
tell your own story. And I think that we, I think that educational systems are changing. You know, the IB is really growing in popularity and more and more people, because we have access and, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of social media at the moment. It's really, it's really annoying me, but it's connecting people. It's connecting disciplines. It's connecting topics. And I think that at least in the Western world, our societies are shifting towards a model that is more happiness-based and kind of self, um, how to put it, more driven towards what makes us individually happy than following a path that, you know, you guys might have had maybe like even me you know, every day my dad's like Alex when are you going off your gap year <laughs> but, but um I think that we've got a bit more freedom today at least in the western world to decide on what, what we want to do rather than follow a path that's expected of us but but you see what you just said about this thing about happiness like that it's happiness driven it's one of the biggest bullshit that we have in the last 10 or 20 years which is about you can do anything you want and be anything you want. You're uh, amazing. This is incredible. Like this is why it's not working. Because when you look at when you look at nature and when you look at how it was working before, everybody like in a, from an anthropological perspective, when you look at a, a tribe of whatever species as a role, you know someone is there to do something, and so be it. You know. You're not going to be the leader because you're not made to be a leader. That's it. I think what I meant was you have a role. I, th I profoundly believe that when you're born, you have a kind of essence. And it's more realizing that essence than going against it by following a path that's pre-established by your society. Now, some it, it's incredibly, and I think that's why there's a lot of depressions at a certain age. It's because you go that route because you expect it to have a house at the age of 30 to be married with kids. And, and when that doesn't happen and it, or it doesn't go with what you believe in and there's, you know, you've worked so hard to suppress that subconsciously your whole life, then yeah, you'll crack. So I think that, no, it's not, you can do whatever you want because I don't think that. And also it's, it's incredibly difficult to do what you want. Like, you know, going, even if it's going against the, the current, like it's given me personally so much stress because I'm not following the traditional route. And some days, not now, but when I graduated, I was honestly thinking, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Maybe I should just get a nine to five job. But I couldn't think of something worse. So I stuck to it. It just means that I live with my parents, that I don't plan for moving out anytime soon because I can't afford it. But and I'm, I'm very grateful for the fact that I can still do that. You know, I'm in a position that's really, really pleasant because I get on well with them. But, you know, I do think that if, if there's something that you really, really, really want because you feel that you need it, then your your entire being will push you towards that. But it's just about finding that. Um, and I think that, you know, I'm incredibly fortunate to have found what I want and what I'm passionate about at a really young age. Some people don't, and that's fine. They might find it later on. They might never find it. But um, what I meant was, I think we're born with a role. Like, you know, you don't just wake up one day and be, I want to be, well, maybe, maybe you do say, I want to be a doctor. I think people who have that passion know it from a pretty early on, that that's what's going to be their role in life, you know? So, yeah. Oh, no, I know. I'm, you know, I'm just cynical. I know you. I know you. I know you. <laughs> I know a lot of things. This is, 
you know you know the the dynamics on the podcast on the other episode <laughs> <laughs> phil is always the yeah, you cynical sometimes a bonfire here <laughs> <laughs> No, no, that's but good. I, that's good because it relates to so many discussions we have with Matt, and, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of good to have also a fresh perspective on that, and you know, another oh one God. from your experiences and everything. It's um, that changed a little bit what I think, but it doesn't change everything. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, not- no but ser- seriously, uh, seriously, Alice, to have you on the podcast, I've been like you, you, you talked uh, both of you for like the past 10 minutes, and I was just thinking. Oh my God, I want more guests. I was like, oh, we've done 34 episodes of just me and Phil talking. And it's amazing, okay? Because I really believe we've made something great. And we, I love this discussion. They're kind of a therapy a bit for me. But I have this, like not illumination, but I have this like super powerful energy inside me right now just telling me, why would we not just use that platform to make people shine? Because Alice, you're simply freaking amazing. Seriously, you're so intelligent. I'm so blown away on, on everything you understand at such a young age. And in fact, it makes me happier to know that there's a gen- generation of people like you that is coming to shake the tree because the tree needs to be shaken. And to hear that, Oh God, if I can have an impact by bringing people like you on ear, and even if we just have 10 people listening, it's 10 people that's going to realize things that they don't. And if we can't travel right now, if we can't move out of our homes, well, you have to at least be able to consume content that's going to help the whole world, right? That's going to make you have these views which are sustainable, which are um, including uh, other people and not just you and other species and not just you and understand that everything is such a fragile balance and we're we're totally on ba- like in balance uh, I mean on balance right now on in the world and it's not about trying to keep the balance it's about how do we shift back to the balance because it's totally lost right now and it's so lost that that's why it's going faster and faster toward the wall but it's it's more like how do we really come back to that balance because um because right now in my opinion it's totally going downhill and and, and this <laughs> is where you have an opposite of of um, you know of uh, thinking where matt will be we need to bring everyone, you know, and all that. And I will be, let's select, you know, the people that we should bring up because not everybody can make it. So Darwinism, you know. <laughs> I know it's so bad. I know it's so bad to have these discussions, but at the same time, it's at oh, the same so time, true. it's, it's not everybody will be capable to handle it. You know, it's almost like, you know, you not have, I mean, you can, you can be taught to be everything, but not everybody will make it. You can say to everyone to drive, but not everybody will be a Formula One driver. You can say to everyone to run, but not everybody will be a marathoner because it takes another type of discipline and it takes another type of, you know, skills also. And I know yeah, but that, that would not, that would not happen. No, it, it, no, no, it's just that. <laughs> That's why I said at the beginning that for me, it's education, the problem. 
it's it's just rooted in the education because you are being taught straight from the start to be something else than what you are so if you are if we all have a role if you you're born with a role and the only thing you learn is to be yourself why do you think i hammered that idea every episode to be yourself because if you would learn it straight from the start you would be told you are unique and amazing and you have one role on this earth you 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 can you could be whatever you want but you are you have a unique a special role here and that's what we're going to help you to develop everyone would just go and develop who they are a uh, a uh, uh, a farmer would 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 just love it straight from the start because he know it and he would not try to be an economist because his parents are like no you can i don't want you to be a farmer like it would just everything would fall into place with the right education that's what i fucking strongly believe yeah. like like you're you're being taught to think differently you're being taught to 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 not be yourself so every everywhere in your life every year of your life you're thinking oh am i am i who i should be uh, who should i be oh but i have all these choices it's just become straight from the start you had the seed in your mind that being yourself was not okay that you needed to be like everyone else that you needed to fit into that mold but if it was not that that you were being taught everybody would just be free to be who they are or to be whatever they want so they would be who they are so <laughs> so you <laughs> said because yes i mean in an idealistic world yes but there's a few things because firstly i don't think you ever know who you are and you know like there's you continuously grow based on what you see what you learn etc but also the model that is given to you isn't it's it's completely it's subconscious because everything like what you are isn't just what you were birth it's a product of both your genetics and your upbringing but also you know in psychology there's this um concept of ostracism and the i because it's 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 a biological fear of being ostracized because the pain from being isolated is is as bad as physical pain and so mm-hmm. it's it's this drive because because i think humans traditionally are 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 you know we're not meant to be solitary animals and so i think that that's there's also that that biological fear of not wanting to be different because when you're different you run the risk of being um isolated now what you say is true we do need i think to kind of give children the choice more but at the same time there's a need for structure because you you know it's i think today Uh, this is probably going to be a bit controversial but i do think that there's a bit less discipline in the education that we give our children and there's that you need to find a balance but finding that balance out i think any parent will tell you that they wing it because they don't know what the fuck they're doing um but i think that there's a balance between you know not having the king child to rule the house but at the same time letting them explore their creativity because i think creativity is perhaps the one way to know who you are really because you you actually have the ability to explore um but um mobile phones are is something that is i think a real plague at least at a young age because they don't they don't have time to be bored and i think that to find yourself you have to be bored and i 
in the last few months I've had a few episodes of depression where I've been like who who am I what am I doing but the last few months I didn't have a lot of work um I was teaching two three hours a day but most of the day I was bored as hell and I was incredibly anxious because being and sitting with the discomfort of yourself you know as self-aware as I am as mindful as I am was extremely difficult because I think that when you're doing and you're doing things you have a sense of purpose suddenly when you're just sitting you don't and that's where growth happens not to say that I've been growing incredibly in the last few months but I think I have Um, but I think that children need that that feeling of being bored where then they'll kind of learn who they are Uh, more than parents telling them what to do or more than parents you know being like um why don't let, let more than parents actually I think I don't know you can't tell some, someone how to raise their child but I think giving them um giving them the space to explore through you know you were in nature I think that's incredible um just sitting at home playing with brothers and sisters I think that's where it all begins um but I do think that you know mm-hmm. finding yourself never really happens you can come close to it. And this is where we, always where we come back. Sorry, this is where we come back to my cynical point yeah. where people are lazy and selfish. <laughs> this is why. Terrifying. So most people will smoke it away or they'll eat it away or they'll Netflix it away or they'll Instagram it away because you don't want to sit with that, yeah. that pain of not knowing, of, of feeling like you don't belong in your body, like being disconnected. I was telling Phil earlier, like, The past few weeks, I've looked myself in the mirror and I just saw a stranger. And it's terrifying. But you have to sit with it because ultimately it's, it'll, 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 it's not a distraction. There's no distraction. And Pascal, who's a famous French mathematician, said there is nothing worse. There is no worse punishment for a man than to be locked up in a room with nothing because it confronts him to himself. And that is terrifying. <laughs> so, you know... I think, and this is yeah. and this is what we do in torture. We private them of sleep, and we private them of of seeing other people. Like the the worst thing in prison is being in isolation. That's that's the thing that you do, and that's because it's the biggest punishment that you can have. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just before you react, Matt, you you, you left us for a, for a few seconds. Uh, I don't know if you heard the thing, but I saw that you were frozen. I'll, I'll just add, add one thing. It's because, uh, again, you know, the Darwinism um, and because of the role of everyone. The thing is that with the advancement of technology and that our, uh, you know, wish to be gods, we made as much as possible, as much as possible people survive. And the thing is that when you look at it, the history has been only the strongest survive, right? Or through, through you know, and... Strongest mean the one that survive, you know, by instinct or by talent or by um, social skills or whatever. We are in a society right now where everyone can survive. It does nothing to do with, it doesn't have to do with survival anymore, I believe. That's my, my, um, and, and uh, I will talk about that in, in Western society mainly. So how do you associate that with on top of what Ali said? Well, and with I, AI I, also. I wanted to say that I wanted to to say that before is because Alice, you're you're so close to the natural chain of life, right? So there's prey and predator, and then at the at the top there's the 
ultimate predator, right? And because that predator doesn't have any other predator. But let's take let's take the lion. I, I guess it's there's nothing that hunts the lion aside from human. Um, but you that that's exactly what you said, Phil. There's a problem there because the lion will survive and will be the strongest of other species. But in the lion kingdom, the weak lion don't survive. So in the human, we are the apex predator of pretty much everything. But in our human race, also the weak and the, 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 the wicked, let's say, or whatever, they also survive when they shouldn't, let's say that, like, in... Like, that's 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 what I think. Like yeah. that's what I think. We're we're, I mean, we're we're making we're making the human life like it would be God. <laughs> like we take that 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 philosophy that we are we are bits of gods. We have like we are everything is connected. We are uh, stardust and we are a bit of God in every human. Yes, and we take that and we make it like we are godly just by being human, which makes no sense because it makes us wants to, to, to keep every human, every defect, every whatever that would not survive in a normal ecosystem. And now we're making, and, and why do you think that the population is getting so, uh, like the, the, the rate of uh, the population on the earth is increasing so fast at an exponential rate? Now it's just because everyone survived. And, and our, our systems are not built to be sustainable with, a, with a, a, an increasing rate of population like that. I think we can find sustainability for that. I mean, we'll have to. But the thing is, you know, what's like i'm the kind of a solution finder so what solution like yes okay that's that's true you know we've so but again we might be animals but we're also cultural beings and it's not new that we've been able to survive it's been a while now that we've found ways to extend human life to enhance its quality to stop people from dying and i think that we have compassion as well so you can't you can't not i mean if I see someone dying, I can't not want to help that person because I think that's also part of how we've evolved. It's to have compassion and to want to help others. So I think... Yes, but you, you cannot have selective compassion. No, but I... You cannot just be compassionate for human. You need to be compassionate for everything else. And if you're compassionate with everything else, then it would not happen, right? There's this story. Uh, I, I can't remember where I read it, but... I think it's in the book Autobiography of a Yogi. And, and he said that, that saints, how they think. Like, and, uh, and there's the story of a woman that uh, is walking in a forest and arrive uh, at the edge of a cliff. And then she hear, um, she hear like an animal crying. And she looked down and she see two baby lions that are mourning the, the, the mother that it that just died and the saint jumped off the cliff because she is compassionate for the 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 little lions and they want she wants to give them food and she 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 just gave her own life for that so 
that's like the highest form of compassion. So can you can you really say that you're compassionate when you help the human, but on the other side you kick the the, the dog on the street? Like, I think that real com- what is real compassion? What do you think is real compassion? Compassion is not selective at all. Like, I, I know that some things that I say are seems like so raw and so uncompassionate. No, 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 no because like, oh, let's just kill some people, but. No, but I just want to add something on what you said is that this is funny when you look at animals, you know, and this is what you're taught in, in even Disney movies and even in movies, you know, when an animal is suffering, you want to stop the suffering, right? And you, you kill them to stop the suffering. This is what is taught. But w- what is kind of when we are talking about hum- uh, humans, we try to make them as, you know, survive as longest as possible. Even if it means like, you know, suffering all the way, it's like, it's like as much as possible. So. I think it's also a cultural thing because in certain tribes, I will say tribes of human, you're not supposed to survive. Like there is tribes that in the world that when the parents are, when the parents um, die, they they bury the child with them alive because. There is nobody, because it's a community thing, so there is nobody to take care of a child, so we just end the suffering with it. With, with <laughs> I never heard that. That's, that's, no, no, that's like, pretty gore. It's, it's, <laughs> no, no, like that's... <laughs> when you study like how certain tribes work, you understand that it's, it's not like we are, we are in a certain bubble in, in, in the way we do things, and it's not like that still in the world. And it, it's really interesting to see that because we evolved in a way that maybe is not sustainable. My 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 okay, my question to that because yes, you can't have selective compassion. But so another question that my dad asked me when I was fifteen was, if you have to, you have the choice to save a cub and a baby, what do you choose? So a what a cub, like a baby animal. Uh, uh, I think in his okay. example, it was a. It was either a gorilla or a lion or a bear. can't remember. And I, my brother and I instantly said, we saved the animal. And he was horrified. And my uncles, I mean, it was Christmas. That was my entire family. They were horrified. And they said, but how can you say something like this? How can you put an animal species above a human species? So I do think it's also a perspective thing. But um, before I give you the answer that I would give now, which is different, what would you answer that question? Because ultimately, you have to choose at some point. So you can't say both. For me, well, for me you would have to justify how it would be both. Like you can't just say I'm going to pick both of them up. Again, Darwinism. <laughs> if it's a really cute baby panda <laughs> and a horrible human being that looks ugly, I will choose the baby panda. Let's be honest. Like seriously. <laughs> Someone, someone gave me, like, I asked a few scientists, um, ecologists that I met, and they said directly the, the, the animal, because the human might turn into a poacher. There's already enough humans, da, da, da. But someone else said, but what if the baby invents something that can change the, the you know, what if they go on and, and change something that can resolve the, the problem of sustainability that we're facing? So there's no, I mean, there's no right or wrong, but I think that it's an interesting question to ask because, you know, yes, you, you can't, there's no selective compassion, but if when it's, when it's crunch time, do you choose your species or do you choose, if you consider that 
all animals are the same, humans included, then you choose the animal. Like, you know, it, it's, it's, I think it's quite, it's quite easy to say, oh, well, you know, we, we better choose the natural world over humans. But I think that deep down, we are still humans. And, and, we, and it's something that took me a very long time to accept because I've, when I was younger, I was a bit of a wild inside and I just didn't like people. Um, but I think that it's also important to understand and to accept that we're human and there's a part of us that just will drive us to our, to our species. I mean, I'm not saying that that's what I would choose today, but I think it's important to think about it. Um, and that's like my, my, my answer. I was, I was almost, uh, so, sorry, uh, I was almost wanted to finish on that note because, but I don't want to, but it's, we are human. Like, I think that will be super well. Let's continue, Mathieu. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Uh, anyway, I, I just have like 15 minutes left. No, no, my, no. Uh, and my internet connection seems to be uh, wavering. Um, my, my answer is just that there should not be any kind of preference. There, there, there just shouldn't. There is no right or wrong in what you would choose. There is a wrong if you choose something because you think it's better than the other. They are both as important in the in the big scheme of things. They, they, the, ba the baby gorilla or the baby human, yes, you can imagine whatever you want about their future, But when you take a decision that's that's rooted in the present and the present survival situation, you can't really um, you can't really like validate your decision by basing yourself into some future thoughts that maybe this will happen and maybe this would happen. You just have to choose left or right, but not because one is one life is more valuable. I, I, but, but I think this is the reasoning that we do afterwards, is that we want to justify our choice that is generally based on instinct. It, this is where it's funny, you know, this is where you see, I think, the difference in, in maybe human and other species is that we, we, try to, we try to make it logical. You know, when you try to justify why you will save a baby animal versus why you will save a baby human, you're trying to make a logical answer or make it rational. Or something like that that, that mm -hmm. makes sense for you because you want to you separate yourself from a, from a cruel decision that you have taken. Because you, you killed, you ki I mean, in this example, you, you killed one of the two. Right? You killed one of the two. But as human, you don't want to say, like, I killed something, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, but, and but what so, would happen? It, what would happen is that any human would choose the baby human just because it's our species. We would just choose our own species, and the and the father gorilla would save the baby gorilla because he would not save the baby baby like the baby human because it just doesn't make sense. We will always go towards our own species, and that's okay, I think, in a way. But that would not make it wrong. Because we are thinking beings and, and we can just sit and not just go for our impulses, right? Our biological impulses. And we just can go and make some kind of decision between the two. And like maybe the, the, little, uh, maybe the little baby human 
as a heart condition and you know it and you know that he's not going to survive more than 10 years anyway and the and the baby gorilla can have like a a super amazing uh, 50 years live and and like you can you can try to compare this but ultimately at the at the lizard brain level you would always save your own kind because that's just all we are like and i, I think that so what i have come you know i've thought about it for a very long time because it was for me it was a huge problem like not being able to make decisions and not being comfortable with either decision but i'm matt i really agree with you um i do think that what what we have as humans is the power to understand that we can ex- by saving one we can save the other and that's what the paradigm in conservation is heading towards it's really you know looking after people to be able to not have to protect an ecosystem but that it just comes naturally because you don't need to go and poach or log or you don't need to go and destroy to to create you know bigger things so there's the, the, then there's a the question of development what happens when you reach a certain point you want to expand that's a complete other story but but at least if you can shift that 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 set of values where you can share the compassion and, and you know create a different sense of perspective towards the environment then I think that that's where you win. And so it's not saying both, but it's saying finding a way to use human intelligence to actually not have to choose because it's a choice at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And I think perhaps not for all the generations. I mean, some people, yes, but when I look at the majority of people I've asked this question, the older generations immediately said humans. The younger generations were really uncomfortable with the question. And I think that that's where it shows that, Matt, as you say, our, our level of compassion is shifting towards not just humans, but actually growing towards species. And because ultimately we are destroying the environment, but we also have the keys to not destroy it. So maybe that's, as we said earlier, you know, that's where the, the crossroads and the, the balance is we have, it, it can go one way or the other. Um, and I think that the shift in the mindset is so profound that we might actually be able to make it. Can I say one thing? No. I'm kind of amazed no. that we came back to conservationism. Like, I don't That's know how we plan. came to that. That's my plan. But it's like, it's like, I was like, I was like, did we lose the, did we lose the <laughs> subject from the beginning? In the last, <laughs> but we, we went through AI and, you know, education and everything. And we came back to, I found it amazing. I just I want to say that. And I think that, you know, it's something that we have to be mindful of. It's, it's more than conservation. I don't actually like the term conservation because it focuses on wildlife. Social ecology, like human culture and nature, that's what we need to bridge. Like we are humans, mm-hmm. but we are animals and we have to accept both. And we have to deal with both. And it's complex and it's uncomfortable because we're conscious that we're going to die. But we are still animals and we behave like animals, even though we're civilized animals. So... I always bring the discussion back because that's the thing for me that we always have to remember continuously. So, yeah. For for me, the best lesson is uh, in the Lion King. <laughs> the circle of life. When when Mufasa when Mufasa is looking at the land with Simba and Simba says, "Yeah, but we chase the antelope and we eat it," and Mufasa explains, "Yes, but when the antelope dies, it becomes you know grass." You know, or I, I don't remember all the story or whatever. I, or when you die, we become grass and the grass is eaten by the antelope. And so we eat the antelope and it's the circle of life. I remember that. I remember that clearly in my head. And I, for me, it was the first time that I was like, oh, 
<laughs> but I was 11, so from what I understood, you know, it doesn't, didn't work really. Okay, I'll, before, I know you've got to go, Matt, so I'll end, I mean, I'll say one last thing, but um, a, an organization I was working for, I don't know if I've done because it's a bit complicated at the moment, but they train rangers across Africa. And the man who founded the organization, Rory Young, who um, passed away in a terrorist attack about two months ago in Burkina Faso, was in Mali in 2015. Um, and he was called there to help train rangers to help protect uh, the last desert elephants that exist in that part of the world. In fact, there's only two desert elephant populations and there's the other ones in Namibia and there's about 500 individuals who've just resisted um, to jihadism and terrorism, coup d'etat and conflict. And, and he said that the tribes there, there was, there's three tribes in the Guma region. There's the Fulani, the Dogon and the Tuareg. And all of them have a different system of beliefs, but all of them knew that elephants had to be protected. And I think it was the Fulani and they found that when there were elephants around, the goats produced more milk. And actually it's because elephants, when they, they'll eat seeds and pods, it'll go through their system and then it'll come out and the goats will feed on it. And so they'll produce more milk. And so they understood that they had to protect the elephants. They wanted to be able to, you know, um, have more food. So I think that that's a really cool app literal application of the Lion King in a way that's, you know, a lot of people sometimes say, but what's the point of an elephant other than its existence? They're so important to the ecosystem. And it's really interesting to see how it also contributes to human well-being. I mean, elephants can raid fields and crops and it can be, there can be conflict. But there can also be some really beautiful ways to thrive with wildlife. Um, and I think that that's really beautiful. That is that's amazing. That is absolutely, absolutely amazing and true. And I, I, I think, I believe that it's not because you don't understand something that it isn't there. And if you believe like just announce into uh, uh, in the evolution, well, if everything that is on the earth right now, or let's say a hundred years ago before it started depleting so fast was there because it was part of an incredibly complex balance. Like they were all there because they, they had a role. They had their role. When we say we're human, we all have a role when we, when we are born. Well, these animals and these insects and everything that every life on this earth has a role. Life and, and it's not because we don't understand those complexity that they, doesn't, they don't exist. Like, That's really good. I, I, still prefer, I still prefer the Lion King. So I recommend to everyone <laughs> Matt, to watch it. And by the way, Matt, Matt, in the Lion King, you see how lions are attacked by other animals, so they don't win all the time. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, I don't think, I know. I saw this thing once where a hyena was trying to attack a lion's ball. But, yeah, I know. <laughs> anyway, on, on that, uh, thanks, for this, thanks for this amazing talk. And I'm so happy that we did that. I didn't expect that it will be so good. Uh, I, I, I just, I just, no, no, but like, I was, I don't know. I, um, you know, yeah, that was obviously, you know, it's the first one that we do. So I know you were amazing and this is why I wanted you to come, but I didn't know how it will work out in the dynamic of three people on zoom doing a podcast naked as again, you know, like 
like not scripted like it's yeah. it's just amazing it, so matt i will let you finish uh, a bit before alice <laughs> yeah well it's an hour 45 on, of uncut uh talk which i think it's incredibly amazing um before i say my my uh, emblematic ending sentence uh this is this podcast this episode is also an opportunity uh to let's say pass some message so we are so happy to have you here alice and just before we finish i want to ask you if you had one thing that you would like to tell people what would it be i think um you'd ask me that question a year ago maybe have been a bit different but I've, I think that it's we all have a responsibility to know and to act accordingly and to not fear change um, and to be self-aware. Because I think if we want to help something, it starts from within. Actually, that's what a beautiful would, message. That's something I would have said last year as well, but it really resonates now. So, yeah. Well, I resonate with that. And that's why at the end of every episode, I say... Be yourself and have fun because that's all. That's where it all starts. And I want, just to finish, I want to say something on one thing that you said, Alice. And you said, I think it's impossible for anyone to really know themselves. And I just think that it's absolutely false <laughs> because... I know we myself. We started a discussion there. <laughs> no, 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 no. I won't. I won't. I just want to give you some light of hope and faith. You're still super young. And it's, in my opinion, it's normal that you are still searching. And you will find, if you keep going at it, the struggle is the way. The struggle is the key. You have to accept it. You have to go through it. But on the other side... When you feel that I am the living experience of feeling that you know who you are, because I know who I am now and I've lived all my life not knowing. And it's the worst feeling. It's the worst fucking feeling. I, I always felt like an outcast. I always felt like I was different and I was searching. I mean, even like... One of the things that hurt me the most was when my friend was deciding where they would be going to college and everything. And they, they all knew what they wanted to do. And I was so clueless. I was so clueless. I just didn't know. I was always searching for who I was. And I think it's the way of the outcast. But if you keep pushing, you're going to find yourself. And when you look in the mirror, you will know exactly what's your role, who you are, and why you're here. Mm -hmm. And we're fucking happy to have you, you. on the podcast. Thank you for that. Can I, can I just add something just saying, quickly? Just saying, no, no. Just just before just before you add something, it's again. It's in the Lion King when Simba is lost. He looks in the water and he sees that. Just saying, like you're just doing the Lion King from the beginning of the episode. So I actually did find myself years ago, but actually, when traumatic events happen and they shift things. Like, I think that I, I had, I was sure that I, I had understood it all. I was, I was so happy. I was so confident. I was, I knew what I wanted to do and that was fine. 
and then I ended up in a very, very difficult situation and I just lost myself again. And then I came out of it and I learned things and I was comfortable again. And then another traumatic thing happened, but like, this is deep trauma. It's not just like, oh, I'm... and, and so I think that you, you have these phases of, you have these cycles um, and you, you know yourself deep down, but sometimes you, you, you learn more things as you go along, but no, you're right. Like, I think being able to be close to your essence is huge. And it's something that always sticks to you once you know it, but then you just keep discovering more cool things along the way. Well, I would say that, yeah, okay, is, that, <laughs> I, is this second episode okay? <laughs> no, no, no. I, <laughs> I would just say that it's because when you understand who you really are, you understand that you are a being in evolution and that's what you are. You are not something that is fixed. You are a dynamic and evolving being And when you integrate that notion, then every hurdle, every trauma that's going to happen, you're going to know it's normal and it's not going to shake your, your fate of who you are. That's the difference. I agree. I agree. I agree. I think we have I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm finished with my running gag. This is the, <laughs> this is the Makaki in, uh, you know, like right, uh, Kaikiri, Raikiri in the Lion King, you know, when he, when he eats on the head Rakiki. and he says, you know who you are. It's a definition that's just so huge and it's a very personal one, but I think we, I think we're actually saying yeah. the same thing in a very different way. Um, okay. Right. I think I've, Well, I know, I know how, how we will end this because with all the running gag of Phil, we're going to just end this with Akuna Matata. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Matt. It was amazing. Thanks, guys. Yes. Thank you. And I uh, wish you a wonderful day and wonderful week. Thank you. Bye.